Today's the first time that uh, maybe two pastors have collaborated to preach one sermon together. Now, uh, over the years, I've heard a lot of pastors preach two sermons, and some say they were giving a devotion, but it was really a sermon. But today, Pastor Gary and I have been collaborating for weeks to share with you a special gospel message. In fact, uh, young ladies were helping pass out these bracelets uh, that some of you hopefully received as you were coming into our Easter service today. And uh, there are five uh, wordless symbols on that bracelet. And uh, on the back of the other side of the bracelet, it says, He came, He died, He arose, He ascended, He's coming again. He's coming back. And so uh, that is what our sermon today is all about, uh, the gospel on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus came, the incarnation, Jesus died, the crucifixion, Jesus arose, the resurrection, Jesus ascended, the ascension, and Jesus returns, the culmination. I'm going to share the first point, and that is that Jesus came. Years ago, the youth group would sing this song, Maranatha Music, and Mark Guterres wrote, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. Well, that's the first point. Jesus came. The incarnation, as you see on the screen, incarnation is a big word for God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The Oxford Dictionary defines incarnation as, quote, a person who embodies in the flesh deity qualities, end of quote. And that is what Jesus did. God, deity, became flesh. God, Jesus, came to earth. Notice the next screen. We're sharing today, Pastor Gary and I, all of our passages, the next screen, uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician. And uh, Jesus came is uh, illustrated in Luke 2, 4 through 14. You notice on the screen. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, notice this, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Next slide. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and Notice this, verse 12, like verse 7, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus came. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came in verses 7 and 12, we see in humility. In an atmosphere of humble circumstances, wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in an animal manger. But as we saw and see in verse 12, uh, it was a sign. 
Dr. Jimmy DeYoung shared this information in a devotional I read this week. Did you ever wonder why this was a sign? A baby Jesus will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Dr. DeYoung lived for years in Jerusalem. He quoted Micah 5 2, which Pastor Gary and I have quoted. It tells us that Jesus the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem or Bethlehem Ephratat. But then he quoted Micah 4 8. And I'm reading from the NLT. Quote, as for you, Jerusalem, the citadel or tower of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again, end of quote. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. The NLT says the citadel of God's people. Many of our English translations say the tower. Well, Dr. DeYoung lived in Jerusalem, and he says that outside of Jerusalem near Bethlehem, is a tower called the Migdal Edar. Dr. DeYoung, who lived in Jerusalem, said that this two-story tower is built in a pasture just out the city of Beth, outside the city of Bethlehem, and archaeologists have recently found the rubble. Dr. DeYoung went on to explain that the shepherds in the field were very likely not the lowly shepherds that many have thought they were, but they were actually bivocational priests from the temple who worked as shepherds on the side to assist in birthing sacrificial lambs for all the sacrifices at Passover. While the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night, the shepherd priests would bring the pregnant sheep in from the field to give birth in the tower. As soon as the newborn lamb was born, the priest shepherd would wrap it in strips of swaddling cloths and place it in a manger so it would not be trampled by the sheep. Can you imagine how excited these pre-shepherds were when they heard the news, went into Bethlehem, and saw baby Jesus, the Lamb of God, wrapped in swaddling cloths? <laughs> Dr. DeYoung goes on to say, it is possible that these swaddling cloths were the same or similar to the cloths used by the priests and shepherds for their sheep that they would wrap them in when they would give birth. It's also possible that Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who was married to Zacharias, a priest, gave Mary these priestly cloths so that when Jesus came to earth, baby Jesus' very first outfit was made from priestly garments used to wrap the sacrificial lambs of the tower called the Migdal Edder outside of Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? Why did Jesus come? Next slide. Jesus came. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus is light. He came to bring us light. John 18, 37, Pilate, the governor, said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Why did Jesus come? To bring light, to bear witness to the truth. And then notice Luke 19, 5 and 10. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know who Zacchaeus was? Yeah, he was a short little fella who climbed up in a tree. I didn't know this, but if you Google, Google, <laughs> Google will tell you that Zacchaeus is the most Googled politician ever Googled. Zacchaeus was a hated tax collector and only 
The physician Luke, only the gospel of Luke tells us about this man Zacchaeus. He was a publican, a tax collector. He took advantage of people. He got rich off of the poor people. He was a short man, and the name Zacchaeus literally in the Greek means pure or innocent. But everyone wondered why would Jesus spend time at that hated man's house? Zacchaeus was a collaborator with the oppressive Roman Empire, but Jesus was not afraid to eat with him and share the truth with him. And guess what? Zacchaeus repented. And not only did he get saved, he repaid fourfold all those that he had been taking advantage of. Now, that's real salvation. Like one preacher said, when someone really gets saved, their pocketbook gets sanctified. Jesus came to save sinners. Pastor Gary. So Jesus came um, in the in the form <coughs> as we John had to consider the incarnation. Now we're going to look at Jesus' death, his crucifixion. So a little bit about crucifixion. Um, crucifixion is a very cruel way of executing someone. Um, thousands of people were crucified prior to Christ. It wasn't just a Jesus thing and two others. It wasn't just three people, but literally thousands were crucified in the years preceding crucifixion. Um, just a little bit of a description of what crucifixion is. Um, in the time of Jesus, <coughs> Roman soldiers would hang people um, on a cross. Sometime it was a cross straight up. Sometime it was this uh, just one long stake with no cross. It's just like this way. Um, and the, not so much little nails. We're talking about big stakes that were hammered strategically and intentionally, not in the hands, but in the wrist, in between the two bones there. I believe that's your own and radius. And in between those two bones is the intersection of where many blood vessels, and the key here is many nerves go through there. So you think of a nail going through those nerves, extra painful. And so... <clears throat> We also know these nails, these stakes went through um, the feet or the ankles of those who are crucified. Um, I'm not sure how or what your thinking is in terms of crucifixion, but when I was a new believer, when I think of like Shinya and Emma, like new believers, I, always, I literally thought people just bled through their hands and feet, and that's how they died. That, that was my thinking at that time, just bleeding through your hands. But the reality is... As I studied crucifixion a little further, the long and short of it is people die via suffocation, by being suffocated. And so as, you're, as they're hanging like this, their body's drooping. And when your body's drooping, you can't get a full breath of air, so they would pull up. And we pull up, what? It hurts more because you're pulling on your nerves and your wrists to get a, a, a gasp or a breath of air, then you're like slumped down again. When you see crosses like a little pedestal where they're standing on their feet, those aren't the crosses that they use. They're literally drooping and hanging and their lungs are collapsed. And so they're basically running out of air, out of air until they can't pull up and get air. And so usually they would die over a long period of time. It wasn't this quick thing that you just die in one day typically. So that's a little bit on crucifixion. Um, <clears throat> eh, what John and I are doing is giving you a big picture on the <clears throat> of the Easter events, the gospel through the gospel of Luke. So this is more Luke, um, Luke 23, verses 32 to 46, where you're going to see um, the narrative <clears throat> of what happened to Christ 
as he was crucified here. So we're in verse 32. Right here it says, along with Jesus, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, with Jesus. Verse 33, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, or also known as Golgotha and other translations, where they were, <coughs> where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Verse 35, and the people stood by watching but the roar scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ of God, his chosen one, the chosen, <coughs> the, chosen one the, so the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If he is the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, Therefore, I mean, excuse me, there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who, <coughs> who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And in verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is, I want to highlight this a little bit. So there's two guys on the cross. <clears throat> this one person is starting to recognize that Jesus is the Lord, is the Messiah, is the one that pardons and forgives sin because of the statement stated earlier when Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. So this man, Jesus responds to verse 43 and says, and he, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the man next to Jesus acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Jesus basically promises, hey, you will be with me in paradise, literally later on the same day. Verse 44, it is now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sunlight failed and the curtain of the temple was torn into, in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my soul. And so... This is basically the narrative of what happened that day. Jesus, I mean, Luke writes more details about <coughs> Jesus and the other authors generally. And so when you see, when you consider Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they present Jesus. And then we consider the epistles, particularly like Ephesians, Colossians, First uh, and Second Peter, they explain the Gospels. So to get a further explanation of what happened on the cross, uh, there's a lot of verses I look at, would like to look at today, but I'll look at, I want to highlight this main one today for us today. In Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14, we have insight of what also happened on the cross besides three men dying and one being the Savior. We see in, 
in Colossians 2.13, it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together in him, in Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And this is where I want you to pay attention. By canceling the, the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands, this is set aside, nailing it to the cross. The first phrase I want to highlight to you, um, this phrase, canceling the record of debt that stood against us. In the time of Christ, these criminals, as they were hung on the cross, they also would hang the reason why they were being um, hung. <clears throat> and in, in Christ's case, you know, they hung him for claiming to be the Messiah. For the other guys, they, they were thieves, they were criminals um, in that sense. But for humanity, our, our sin is that we, we have offended a holy God. We have broken not just one law, but James says in chapter 2, verse 10, for if anyone keeps the whole law but fails at one point, is guilty of all of it. We have broken God's law in every place. And if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, there's 613 laws. And he's saying, hey, you broke all of them. The idea of this counseling the record of a debt is basically saying before holy God, you are spiritually bankrupt. Um, Sometimes when I think of debt, I think of our own country. <laughs> we are trillions, countless trillions in debt um, financially. And when we want to resolve that, what, we just print more money? I don't know what our financial system does, but that's what it seems like it does. So that's a financial system where I don't even know if any president is going to get us ever out of debt. And it's similar, but even worse for us. Spiritually, before holy God, our debt is so great, we can never do enough good works to even come even. Um, we are spiritually impoverished before holy God. And so what the Bible says is that we are spiritually bankrupt. Um, we have a spiritual debt that's unpayable. Um, we have violated God's law, and so we fully de deserve his wrath and the penalty of sin. And one day we will face God and judgment. And if we're not in Christ, guess what? We will go to hell. But if we are in Christ, yes, we have a second hope, and John will talk about that later. But what Paul is graphically trying to display here and compare is the picture of God's forgiveness. And he's saying it's going to be what? Wiped out. He's going to take that parchment and he's going to wipe it out, kind of like what we could do with our hand to a white erase board, that we could wipe out our sin as far as the east as it's to the west. And so once it's wiped out, God looks at us and says, doesn't say, hey, you're a dirty criminal. You're spiritually bankrupt. No, you have been, your sins have been wiped clean. And if we know our theology a little further, we also know that it's not just wiped out, but God imputes to our account the righteousness of Christ on the positive side of our spiritual ledger. And this last little phrase, nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. I alluded to this a little bit earlier. The list of the crimes are often um, listed um, above and nailed to the cross um, above the criminals. <coughs> There's particular violations in which they committed. For the believers, our sins 
were forgiven by Christ's work on the cross. In one sense, um, they are nailed to the cross. Jesus pays for the penalty of our sins. Um, he ransoms the, <coughs> us out of the slave market of sin. He satisfies the wrath of God for us and the demands of the law, every law that was broken, and <coughs> takes a punishment upon himself that we might be forgiven, that we might live, that we might be made in right standing with Jesus Christ. Um, there's so much more than that that comes with Christ's death. Um, my, one of my mentors in our network said, Gary, I want you to know this day, no matter what happens on Easter Sunday, remember that Jesus died on the cross. And if you want to know how loved you are, just remember that a life was given that you might have life. And so Christ's life was given that we might have life, that we might have our sins forgiven. And so if you don't feel love, know objectively because of what Christ did on the cross, he loves you. Um, the next and third picture on your bracelet and on the screen is the fact that Jesus was buried and he arose. And so this is basically the resurrection. So we're jumping back in Luke chapter 23, verse 53. Joseph, we see he took Jesus down and wrapped um, it in linen and a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in the stone where no one had ever been laid. Uh, verse 54, it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning the women who had come with him Joseph from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid then they returned and prepared spices and ointment on the sabbath day rested according to the commandment so that's Jesus's burial and now we'll look at his resurrection in chapter 14 verse 1 but on the first day of the week at the early dawn they went down to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find his body of the Lord Jesus while they were perplexed about when they, when they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel verse 5 and when and when they and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground the men said to them why do you seek the living among the dead such a profound statement there verse 6 he is not there he is risen remember how he told you while he was in galilee still in galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise Verse 8, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they, they told all things to the leaven and, all, and to all the rest. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Jonna and Mary, the, son, <coughs> the mother of James, and other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to die an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But notice this next verse, and notice Peter's response. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, 
he saw the linen cloths by themselves. He didn't see Jesus there anymore. And guess what Peter did? Remember, he denied Christ three times. We know that he was restored. And this is his response here. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Jesus did an amazing work in Peter's life. He's a changed man. He's a restored man. And now I believe he is a saved man. Again, another um, epistle to explain what Christ had done here. We look at 1 Corinthians 15 briefly, three verses. Paul says what's important in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I have received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, they died. All right, so what Jesus did is what? He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And we know that he rose again historically by the bare fact that there were 500 witnesses. So some people are going to say that was an illusion, that was a ghost, that was a whatever. No, you can't deceive 500 people at the same time. Um, they all witnessed Jesus die. Not all these people witnessed die, but a number of people witnessed people die, Jesus died. But 500 plus people witnessed Jesus. Among them alive once again. And so on that basis, we affirm and recognize his resurrection. On the same token, I don't know if you recognize that Lisa Marie Presley passed away. I don't know if you guys know that back in January. And no, she died. She had a death certificate and she had a memorial back in January. And a lot of people saw her die and there were witnesses. But if Lisa Marie resurrected and we walked around her again, we'd probably believe. But that hasn't happened. But in Jesus' case, we, what, affirm his resurrection based off of witnesses. Last idea, or fourth idea, Jesus came, he was buried, he rose on the third day, and we also see that he ascended back into heaven. We're still in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke verse, chapter 24, verses 50 through 53, four verses really quickly here, or three. And he led them out of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This is known as the ascension. Jesus was carried up into heaven. And the response of those around him, it says that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temples, in the temple blessing God. And so the disciples saw Jesus die, buried, rose again, and ascend back into heaven. And, but I want you to notice the response. They worshipped him. They were excited. They were pumped. They were joyful. All right, um, and it, Luke also wrote the gospel or the historical book of Acts. So I want you to see two more verses, Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is another angle of the same thing. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Lock your eyes in verse 9. And when he had said these things, 
as they were looking on, he, Jesus, was lifted up. And a cloud and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay? Just imagine they're around Jesus and they're having a conversation, and all of a sudden Jesus is going up. And he's going up and he's going up and he's going all the way up to the clouds. Okay? I don't know what Jesus is wearing for shoes that day, probably sandals, maybe bare feet, but probably sandals. But I always wanted to jump high enough that someone could read at the bottom of my shoes what you know kind of shoes I was wearing. That kind of jumping really high, right? But Jesus jumps. He didn't really jump. He was straight up lifted up by God's grace and his sovereign power there. And you could see the bottom of his feet as he ascended into the cloud. So Jesus came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again and he ascended. And he will return. Right, John? All right. Bring it home, buddy. <laughs> Jesus came. And Jesus, the culmination is he will return. Uh, this is the last wordless symbol in our era pointing downward, uh, another era pointing downward, and Jesus will return. It will come full circle is what I like to say. Notice the next slide. Uh, Pastor Gary just read verses 8 and 9 of Acts 1, Luke, book 2, as we know it. And notice, and while they were gazing into heaven as he, Jesus, went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there it is, clear and plain. You see Jesus go up, he's going to come back again. In fact, the early church in the first century expected him to come back any day, every day. And so should we. Notice the next slide, John 14. This is a great promise. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Next slide. Various scriptures tell us and remind us throughout the Bible that Jesus is returning. Revelation 1, 7 says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. He went up with the clouds. He's coming back with the clouds. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Matthew 24 tells us that you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Next slide. Jesus came the first time. Jesus is coming again in the clouds. Are you ready? Are you ready? Next slide. Don't know if we have this clip, but it is a visual reminder if we do on the next slide that Jesus is coming back. Body of Christ. Keep going. Body of Christ. Jesus is soon to come. The scripture says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He will come when you least expect it. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. He could come anytime. We must be ready.
interesting clip there. Their attempt at presenting what might happen. We don't know exactly how it will happen. The point is, Jesus is coming again. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? Are you ready? I hope you're ready because Jesus is coming again. I want to close with this story Max Lucado shares about a famous actor from the 19th century named Edwin. Uh, Edwin was famous for his ability to act and do Shakespeare. But Edwin had two brothers. One was named John and one was Junius. Both of them were actors as well. In 1863, these three brothers united their talents to perform together at the theater Julius Caesar. The fact that Edwin's brother John took the role of Brutus was an eerie harbinger of things to come. Edwin's brother John, that played Brutus in this theater drama in 1863, is the same John who assassinated President Abraham Lincoln on an April night in 1865 in Ford's Theater. I'm sure you've guessed by now that the last name of these brothers was Booth. Edwin Thomas Booth and John Wilkes Booth. Well, Edwin was never the same after that horrible night, his brother assassinating President Lincoln. Shame from his brother's crime drove him to retire completely from acting. He might have never returned to the stage had it not been for a twist of fate at a New Jersey train station. You see, Edwin was waiting for his train when a well-dressed young man lost his footing, fell between the platform and the moving train, Without hesitation, uh, Edwin locked his legs around the railing, reached down, grabbed the young man, and pulled him to safety. After sighs of relief, the young man recognized the famous actor. Edwin had no idea who the young man he rescued was, but several weeks later, he received a letter from General Adams Boudot, Chief Secretary to General Ulysses S. Grant, thanking Edwin Booth for saving the life of a young man named Robert Todd Lincoln. Think about it. Two brothers, Edwin and John Booth, both made choices. One chose death, the other life. There were two thieves on either side of Christ. One chose life, paradise, and the other chose death and unbelief. Our last slide reminds us from the book of Corinthians that today is the day of salvation. Have you made a choice? Jesus came. Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, ascended to heaven 40 days later, and he's coming again. Are you ready? Have you accepted Christ? That's why we're here, to celebrate he's alive, but also to get you ready so that whenever he comes or whenever we pass away, we are ready to meet our creator, our maker, our savior. Jesus is Lord. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. I hope you will trust him right now. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we close in prayer today, we thank you for the teaching of the gospel message, the scriptures that have been shared. We pray that you'll bless the holy scriptures. We thank you that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, died, resurrected, ascended, and is promising to return again one day. We don't know when that is, but we know that you know, and we're looking forward to that blessed day. If there's anyone here today that's never received you, there's someone that's watching on YouTube, I pray that they will make a decision right now to accept you. In fact, as I pray right now, I'm looking at you, sir, ma'am, whoever you are, you're watching 
our channel maybe today. Pray this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I trust and believe in Jesus Christ. I know He came, He died, He resurrected, He ascended, and He is my Savior, and I want to be ready when He comes back. I receive Christ into my heart. I repent of my sins in simple faith, and I ask Him to be my Savior and my Lord right now. I pray, I mean this sincerely from my heart. Come into my life and save me and give me that hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope you prayed that prayer as you're watching today. If you're here today, the altars are always open. If you want to come and pray, as Brother Brandon and the group will lead us in our closing song today.